Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we begin the 15th chapter of Mark with verses 1 through 21. Last week, we had just cut away from phase one of Jesus' trial before the Jewish authorities to Peter and his denial of Jesus just a couple of hours after boldly swearing that he would never deny him, even if everyone else did. Now Mark cuts back to the continuation of Jesus' trials. Enter Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the region, whom the Jewish authorities needed to officially condemn Jesus to death if their scheme to kill him was to be fulfilled legally. As Pilate questioned Jesus, he was convinced that Jesus was not guilty of any crime worthy of death, but welcome to politics, even 2,000 years ago. The schemes and manipulations of evil men accomplished God's sovereign goal, however. The whole world, both Jews and Greeks, proclaimed their hatred of God and killed his son whom he sent. If we don't need God's forgiveness for anything else, we need it for this. Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, Pilate, Savvy and Spineless. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. Now, what's that about? Remember, the Roman cohort, that's the soldiers. A cohort would be up to 600 of them. Now, they did not need 600 soldiers to contain Jesus. And remember when they did come after him, he said two words and knocked them all off their feet. It wasn't like he was their victim at, at, at any point. But they called all of them together. You know why they called them together? Hey, guys, come look at this. We're going to have some fun. It was that wicked. They dressed him up in, a purple, uh, in purple, signal of royalty, mocking him. And after twisting a crown of thorns together, they put it on him. The thorns would have, a crown of thorns would have been digging into the skull, more pain, more, more blood. And they all began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed. Okay, he's got a thorny crown on his head, and they keep beating him with a stick of bamboo, if you will, and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before him. Total mockery, utter blasphemy. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. He's about to lose his life. It's a death sentence. There is no compassion. There is no sense of solemnity, no sadness at all for what they had just done to this guy, let alone what he was about to face. There's no human decency. They ridicule and they mock the Son of God. They, they inflict the unspeakable torture of flogging upon Him. And, and by the way, many victims of flogging died at that stage from the, the trauma and the, and the blood loss. But we have one more really interesting little detail. It's a fascinating thing when you try to think about why Mark included this. last verse of our pericope is Mark 15, 21. They're on the way to the cross. They, they refers to the soldiers. 
they pressed into service a passerby from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Now, probably what's going on is the soldiers want to get this done. They've got to get to Golgotha, the place of the cross. There's Jesus and the two others who were crucified there. And I'm sure you've, you've had it explained to you. They would typically make the person being crucified carry across their shoulders and tie the arms to this big uh, piece of timber uh, that would be the cross piece of the cross. And they had to carry that there. Well, uh, if somebody had been flogged, it wasn't easy to carry that on a good day, but if you'd been flogged, it was even worse. They were probably in a hurry to get to the men to their crosses and... and Jesus wasn't going fast enough to carry that piece of the cross. So they randomly conscripted from the crowd a man named Simon of Cyrene. Uh, Cyrene is a vibrant port city or was a vibrant port city on the North African coast. It's in what would now be modern-day Libya. not sure if it's still called Cyrene or not. Cyrene was also the home to a significant Jewish population. So Simon was one of those thousands of Jewish pilgrims who traveled to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. He happened to be coming by, and he was the random choice of the executioner. But there's more to the story. God's invisible sovereign hand is at work here providentially using the witless actions of the Roman soldiers to draw this poor bystander, he probably looked like a strong young guy, make him, save, uh, make him carry the cross, and they wound up bringing him to Jesus. <laughs> and they played a role in bringing him to faith. Now notice Mark identified Simon as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now here's where this is It's wonderful how this comes together. That tells us that Mark, who wrote for Gentiles in Rome, he knew that his original readers were acquainted with sons of Simon. And the dots all connect within the pages of Scripture. Alexander and Rufus were almost certainly active in the church at Rome. And when Paul would, uh, many years later, write his letter to the church at Rome and send greetings there, he says in Romans 16, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, and also his mother and mine. Put that together. What's he saying? Greet Rufus. He's a member of the church in Rome. He's a choice man in the Lord, and also his mother, who would be the wife of Simon of Cyrene and mine, implying that Rufus's wife had treated Paul as, or, or, or Simon's wife, one of the two, had treated Paul as if he were her own son. So this family had played a role in ministering to Paul, and he's sending greetings to them. So wondrously, the man who carried Jesus's cross came to embrace him in saving faith, as did his wife and sons. Now, that's an avalanche of Scripture. I don't know if I've ever read any more verses than that in one sermon. As we close, take a step back 
and think about what we've taken in and understand this is here for our edification, for our instruction, for our reproof, for our correction and training in righteousness. Pilate, a weasel of a political tyrant, he tried to find ways to release Jesus, but he was intimidated into giving in. He actually came to believe that he might somehow be worse off if he risked his standing with Caesar than he would be if he ordered the execution of the Son of God. And remember how he was ultimately described in verse 15 of Mark 15? Wishing to satisfy the crowd, he handed him over to be crucified. Pilate did what many had done before and what countless ones have done since. He put his career, his personal peace and affluence, his comfort, he put all of that above his convictions and he let them all overweigh the truth. He caved in to the demands of the mob that was stirred up by hypocritical murderers in the Sanhedrin. And in this case, he made himself an accomplice to murder. And unless something happens that we're certainly not told about and never recorded anywhere outside the Bible, he's in the lake of fire or he's headed for the lake of fire. Don't get mired in all the details of what happened that night and early in the morning. Obviously, it's very important. You can tell by the amount of ink allotted to it in Matthew and Mark and and Luke and John. But the most important response that you can have to all this would be a fresh appreciation for the humiliation and the indignity that Jesus suffered on your behalf. How humble was he? He endured the cross, despising the shame, it says in in Philippians. He was willing to go through all this. And by the way, none of these horrible things that happened to him between 1 a.m. and 6 or 7 a.m., 9 o'clock when he was nailed to the cross, none of that saves you. His... His physical suffering isn't what saved you. It was Him taking your sin upon Himself on the cross. That's why we'll see next time He screamed out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was bearing the wrath of God for our sin. He didn't deserve any of it. You don't deserve anything that mild. Hallelujah, we might say. What a Savior. Come back, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, and we'll look at the the crucifixion. In the meantime, let's pray. Our Father, thank You for all the details of this that You have given to us. It, It does indeed show us this is very important, and You want us to understand it. And, oh, how we thank You for the Savior who endured all of this in order to get to the cross to bear our sins, that we might stand complete in Christ today. Whatever needs to be done in any heart here today, that we might walk with this Savior, that we might not compromise as Pilate and so many others did, Peter even. Thank you, Father, for um, your grace in which we stand, but we pray you'll strengthen us in our faith as we go from this place today and put put the words of the gospel freshly upon our tongues as we go. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.